I've been I've still been bumping that fucking cytotoxin record. Oh yeah, that shit's crazy. <laughs> Which I don't, John. I don't know if I sent it to you, but it's this German like technical brutal death band uh, that looks like they actually have some musical theory shops because as uh, Ian pointed out, you can tell the difference between the songs on the album and like when they start. <laughs> <again>. <laughs> um, uh, but their rare. whole theme is like, <laughs> yeah, exactly, extremely rare. Um, but uh, their whole theme is like. Uh, like post Chernobyl, like nuclear phobia, like dying from radiation on their first record. It's their first or second record. I went and listened to it and they have like a whole song where part of the percussion is the tick on a Geiger counter. Oh, that's so <laughs> sick. <laughs> <laughs> oh my God. <laughs> and that's I was so like, this clever. is so lit, man. <laughs> like, <laughs> this isn't totally wild. Like, yeah. Um, so good stuff's still happening out there. Yeah. Oh yeah. Totally. Yeah. I mean, uh, uh, Ian, you sent me that uh, uh, Fang uh, or Fong, uh, this French like, um, uh, yeah, Fong. Um, <laughs> Fong. Um, we have like a bunch of listeners in Europe. I found out, so I hope not. Oh, sure. <laughs> um, uh, if so, my apologies. I didn't mean to do the Simpsons like croaking laugh <laughs> meme on the, on the pod, but um, they're a really great band, and they've got yeah. Like, uh, um, it's they've got a drum machine, right? Yeah. So from what I gather, because I had listened to the 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 record they put out, I think like two years ago, and it was cool. It's like sludgy, like post metal ish, but like really harsh sounding mm. stuff. Um, but I, I wasn't like taken by it. I wasn't like blown away by it. And then on their new album, apparently a bunch of the band members left, including their drummer. And so whoever was writing the songs just like fuck it, drum machine time, <laughs> and the music is way crazier now. It's yeah, like, it, yeah. it feels like they made the best of a, a bad situation and it like pushed them into making more interesting art, which I think is a good model to look at in general for any musician trying to make stuff these days. Like that's. Yeah. yeah they really albinied it. Right. That like first big black EP with like mm-hmm. a live drummer just does not have, like it has some really funny songs on it, like Texas, um, an unsung big black song, but they don't really become themselves until they lose their drummer. And Steve Albini's just like, okay, now that we've lost the drummer, we're doing a drum machine. I want to make this as alienating as possible. So I'm going to commission to have a bunch of guitar picks made out of sheet steel made for us so that um, we can sound like we're destroyed. Like this is a lathe in an industrial factory learning to play a song. Um, (laughs) That band Fung really reminded me also of – uh, that band I found and shared with you, Ian. I don't know if I shared it with you, John. Um, author and Punisher. Oh yeah, that's why I sent it to you because like, yeah. well, if you like that, you'll like this. Yeah, which was spot on. But uh, yeah, that guy is like this um, really technically savvy like uh, engineer for like microbiology, but he creates his own instruments. Uh, that I, it's just I'll send you the video, John. It's it's really unlike anything I've ever seen, and it's yeah. so brutal. Sounds like it. Um, yeah, it's like this weird glove that slides and it's got these buttons on it for percussion. And then he's just got these big cranks that create these other things. And he made this microphone that like wraps around and depending on which mic set he sings into, it distorts his voice in another way. But then he's got another thing wrapped around his vocal cords that like picks up like textures there too. It's super wild. Mm-hmm. Um, the thing that you're we're, we're talking about with, with, with Fonge and also Code Orange, I think is like, 
also true about a lot of the things we're talking about in terms of internet, uh, uh, listening to music on different platforms and all that is you have to lean into the parts that are ugly and weird and broken in some way, because that's where you're going to push and find new interesting sounds. So mm -hmm. like the way I'm looking at the record that I'm making now is like, well, shit, like I can't record in a studio. So instead what I'm going to do is I'm going to have the experience of making the record be this sort of atomized thing where I'm taking bits and pieces from all over you know, my musical community of like reaching out to this guitarist and like this, you know, uh, this like electronic producer and just getting all these bits and pieces. And instead of looking at it like, oh, I can't record the record the way that I wanted to make the new circumstance the entire point of the thing, you know, like find the part that's broken and magnify that as, as big as possible. Yeah. Don't fix it. Feature it. Mm -hmm. Right. Like that's the, um, I think that's that's the way to go, which is a good transition to the post P topic that I wanted to talk about. I'm just going to leave all that in, by the way. Um, yeah. <laughs> I've decided. Uh, was just I'm, I'm going to feature it. I'm not going to fix it. Is what I'm saying. There you go. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Um, and uh, sort of like so, we all read that Rolling Stone piece on like TikTok and how it moves way faster than the music industry knows what to do, and even the people who use it know, right? Mm -hmm. In terms of promoting songs, like Saweetie. Uh, as John, before we started recording, mentioned, like commissioned this whole group of Gen Z influencers to help her like promote a song, and she was like, "I'm a MySpace girl. Like I had a lit MySpace, but I don't know what's happening anymore. Um, so I need these kids." But then the song went viral just because some other rando in some corner of the internet made a viral dance to it, and it rendered everything they did like totally moot. And then I wanted to have that correspond with uh, Chris Ott's point in. Uh, we are the music manager or whatever uh, that video is supervisors called. supervisors. Yeah. Um, uh, when he was like, if you're writing about like this type of stuff uh, and you are expecting like a living wage from pitchfork or whatever, um, like it's moving faster than your conversation. Like your critical efforts have no impact on the culture. There are conversation between like you and your coworkers that everyone can watch happen online. Mm -hmm. right? like that's it like it's not you know so the theme of the podcast is why doesn't anything feel possible and i think the disconnect between the critical eye and the actual experience of engaging with this movement and how fast uh that moves or how slowly it takes to actually critique something thoughtfully is part of why i feel like that tension creates almost like this stagnation that has all of these fragments that are constantly being renewed and introduced. It's like endless variation that creates a feeling of almost like sameness or inertia. If that mm -hmm. makes sense. I don't How does it feel for you guys when we're looking at these situations? Well, I think about, you know, where music criticism is happening, where it feels most vital and it's like YouTube and social media yes. is where all of the actual interesting thoughts are happening instead of these longer pieces because the, as you described, the writing and criti uh, critical process moves too slow to keep up with the culture mm -hmm. and also is just not the medium that people are reading. You know, people aren't reading album reviews unless they write album reviews or make records. Yes, you know? having written album reviews, I <laughs> know that that's true. That is also why I stopped writing album reviews. <laughs> Uh, so then you look on YouTube and like, okay, yes, yeah, so you have your Fantanos and 
what have you that are actually like reviewing or criticizing records. But for the most part, people are just reacting to music, you know, literally and, reaction videos like lost in Vegas. Exactly. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And that's the speed that you have to operate on in order to keep up with the, the stream of music content and the stream of the culture is you don't have time to reflect. You have only have time to react, you know? Yeah, it's sort of like the Hegel line, like the owl of Minerva flies at night, um, except that like we never experience night. Um, yeah. So the owl never flies. <laughs> no, <laughs> it's like really hard to put it together. That's why I was so impressed when um, it's even hard to like go back and create like a teleology anymore or like uh, an influence chain because things are so mashed together. Like you talk about this in um, No Final Interpretation. Um, where it's like, yeah, you can see all these disparate pieces being put together, but it's like what you're doing is you're listening to how someone has listened to something before you. Yes. Which yeah. doesn't feel like engagements with it, music that I am familiar with, even as a guy who's like very nerdy about Nine Inch Nails remix albums and have been since I was a kid, <laughs> you know, um, that still feels, that seemed like somebody trying to solve an aesthetic problem. And so you were getting every iteration of it. Right? It really like felt a lot like watching Chris Ott feels like I'm watching him tell me what it was like to listen to music when he was whatever age and these albums were coming out. But like, I appreciate it beyond that because it is sort of like, I will never be able to access the kind of history that he's sort of trying to create because I just don't have the ability to do that. And to some extent it requires some research and to some extent it requires some having been there. And so that you can say like, this was important. This was not important. Like the basic stuff of making knowledge out of information is like discretion. And he's able to say like, yeah, people talk about this, but I was alive in that time and like nobody cared at all. And now it's sort of been reinvented. You know, I encountered this on like metal forums back in the day. Like people would be like, Oh, Nocturnus is the key is like this like seminal death metal album. And then this guy would be like, we never cared about that album. It was like trash beneath our boot when it came out. But now you kids think it's so great. Like, but it was just stuff like this interesting kind of like interpreting and reinterpreting. And now, like there is, uh, it's, it's sort of like rhizomatic now. There's just a bunch of crap everywhere, like popping up and it's all connected, but it's not really obvious how, or like, I can't say that one connection matters more than another. And I've experienced it kind of as a weird bifurcation or something where I have these albums that I heard during a time when I can say there were still like album reviews were still happening. I was still spending long periods of time on one album and I developed some kind of meaningful connection to that album and can kind of sit in reflection, like born out of duration and have some kind of thought or experience of it. And then there's stuff that I found like after those years and I just don't have the same connection or relationship to it or ability to like contextualize it any longer. Sort of like how you point out the Gex 100 would be like kind of weirdly familiar to people of our age because I They're love that really, point. I was like, 100 yeah. Gex is nostalgic was the, the take I was not expecting, but made sense after it was It was made. so real. Yeah, like, you know, not much 2010s is in there. You know, it's all stuff that we never expected to be thrown together into a blender, but was. Sure. Well, isn't that like kind of the most 2010s thing? You know, mm -hmm. that's the 2010s-ness of it is the experience of nothing in it being new. 
Um, yeah. Yeah. I mean, that was, God, what was, the 2010s were really weird, right? And I talked about this on your podcast. I stole it from Todd in the Shadows. Mm-hmm. And he says that the 2010s, I'm so pissed I did not see this, but it's so perfect. He says that the 2010s opened with Happy by Pharrell being like the number one hit. And then in, in like at the end of the decade, Sad by XXXTentacion was like one of the biggest hits. <laughs> right. Yeah. I mean, like, it's so funny because, you know, you can even look in those two songs individually. Like, Happy is like this weird like 60s pastiche but like updated and filed down into like acceptable disney moviness you know Mm -hmm. um it's like sort of a motown song but it isn't uh and then at the tail end of the decade sad it's emo rap which is just the previous decades rock music reorganized around an 808 you know yeah and now everything is just that, like whatever it was previously, but over an 808. Like that's that's just what music is. It's like, remember this thing, now remember it with a lower kick drum. Right, well, which is interesting, right? Because like, <clears throat> I guess if we're talking about there's being sort of this like lag or however it feels, like I think about like Lil Peep and Lil Tracy um, who were big, uh, I mean, obviously Lil Peep, but Lil Tracy was, I think, really the first one to... Um, really lean into like late blink 182 catalog melodies you mm-hmm. know and like but i guess i should say mid-period blink now because they've released some pretty unfortunate records in the last <laughs> decade um, yeah, we're not talking about the skiba era yeah i was about to say i don't want uh may his name not be mentioned but um uh you know what was weird about that to me is that um those guys are really young and so those are music, that was music when they were in grade school. And it's like wild to see that age demographic start to become more potent and more powerful from like a marketing experience standpoint, the way that being a teenager was for our parents' generation. Like the creation of the teen was like a marketing category in some right. ways, right? Which then got valorized. And now it seems like, you know, when Chris Ott says, like, you know, if you think you're a critic and you're driving culture, you're mistaken. The evidence he gives for that is a screen cap of his daughter's uh, group chat with all her 11-year-old friends. And they're just texting each other Gucci gang back and forth. <laughs> you know, because that song had just come out when he recorded the video. And, like, that really seems to be it, is that, it, like, things skew younger and younger in some sort of way. Um, and that's, like, part of this, too. It's, like, I don't know how exactly but it seems like a last bastion or something of that of like what age demo you can incorporate into like the marketing infrastructure which is also basically now like the culture infrastructure Mm -hmm. like culture is marketing right like that's basically what we have implied through this entire conversation about how to make it as an artist (laughs) is that you become good at marketing yourself and your personality right now, listener, you are listening to this, not just because you think John, Ian and I, or just John and I alone have like uh, interesting things to say, but because at some minimal level you are parasocially involved in the relationship John and I have that is 10 years old right like that's part of it you know 
Right. Well, it's, it's also so fucking weird. <laughs> <laughs> you're also the kind of now expressing that you're the kind of person that listens to exhaust, you know? Yeah. Yeah. Totally. Like yeah. by the, the marketing is also self-marketing on the consumer end too. So like you're becoming the type of guy that listens to brewer metal, you know, or what have you, you know? Yeah. I'm going like, to link your piece on that because that piece is extremely funny. <laughs> thank mm. you. <laughs> um, like every, everything that you, choose to listen to is also an act of self-expression when it's on the internet because you're always doing everything publicly to some extent uh, so yeah you're you're when you're selling music or when these companies are selling music like gucci like songs like gucci gang to tweens they're also saying like you are now going to become the kind of person that incorporates this into yourself it's the new scrabbling yeah yeah exactly like you are representing yourself as part of this wave of a meme like tiktok everyone's you go through these trends of you know doing particular dances to particular songs and so the only function that the music has is to serve your brand at that moment not to exist on its own yeah. does that make sense yeah totally and and to to build into the, like the younger and younger demographic thing so uh you know that uh, rapper who died recently pop smoke yeah yeah um he had that song called foreigner which is just about like fucking basically um, so I watched this really young YouTuber. He's like in his early twenties. His name is D'Angelo Wallace. Um, he's a thoughtful kid and he's part of like how I keep up with the trends. Cause I'm like <laughs> a fucking old man at this point. Um, you know, and uh, I think he's like one of the more thoughtful kids out there. And he did a whole thing on like weird TikTok challenges. And one of them is basically just child porn and it's called the foreigner challenge. And it's like middle schoolers fucking on TikTok. And it was just like a major hashtag on their site that you could just click into and scroll. Jesus. So like, that's what I mean about like, what's weird about how some of the shifts younger. And like, I think we'll start to feel like there is less new as, um, parts of people's childhoods become part of the art they make as an adult. Whereas it used to be like you were a teen and like, that's what you were making like into your early adulthood or whatever, you know? Um, I think that means that we're going to be pulling from stuff that's like a little bit farther behind. And so it's like less new, like as that goes, right? Like, um, and that it also has to do with like these weird pseudo adult experiences that you have online that we thought it's like aberrant or um, cloistered, you know, part of dark forums that you might've accidentally stumbled into. My first high school girlfriend uh, got really into like Neopets and like participated in the Neopets forum. And then as an adult realized that she was an 11 year old participating in a furry forum Right, right, right. right. Mm -hmm. But now that that stuff is like a searchable hashtag for millions of people to look at, <laughs> you know? Yeah. Well, I think like the more that things get quantified and um, organized as data points rather than experiences unto themselves, the fewer things can seem new because there's no space for new things to happen. Like if someone born now that spends their entire life on the internet like nothing new can happen from that because every single part of their life has been quantized and qualified and measured in some capacity. Uh, so how could there be something new? Because now they just exist as a series of numbers next to other people that have done the same things, read the same things, listened to the same music. 
So if everything can be measured, then nothing can be uncertain. And without uncertainty, you don't get anything new. I don't know. Maybe that's a very stony way of looking at it. But no, but, but I hear what you're saying. I think there's at least a grain of truth to it, right? That's why I've always been skeptical of sort of Mark Fisher's claims about like, well, we can look at these forgotten futures within this music and like maybe that'll show us an aesthetic vector possible. I think that's putting the cart before the horse, right? Like those things are determined by a larger social structure, right? Mm -hmm. Creating like the cultural like innovation that will change things, right? Like the Seattle model that we talked about earlier, like isn't in the running anymore. Like that's actually, he's, I think he's actually just participating in the nostalgia he kind of critiques um, uh, in that. And so like, where I want to end this is why we still listen to this stuff, uh, why it's compelling to us, why it's compelling to make music or make art when we know that novelty isn't part of the game, right? Yeah, I guess because it, it's never been part of the game, you know? Like on a long enough timeline, everything is the same. Like there's no appreciable difference if you look at it. Like if you zoom out far enough, the Beatles and One Direction and whatever Zoomer TikTok stuff is happening is all the same, you know? It's, it's all just writing songs about being horny, you know, that <laughs> yeah. are, are using a, a particular There's a direct set. line from I want to hold your hand to the foreigner challenge is what yes, you're saying. exactly. Yeah. yeah. And it's the same like moral revulsion. Like the thing that I just experienced of like, oh God, like that's so horrifying. It's the same thing that people in the 60s experienced watching like Elvis on TV, you know? And so if nothing has ever been new, that's almost freeing in some way of the burden of newness, you mm -hmm. know? Like if Mozart was making songs about how he wants to lick someone's ass as a joke, like that just means like, fuck it. You can't, you can't get wrapped up in that fear of not being new. You just have to make good art and like express something true to a community of people that have the same experience. At least that's how I look at it. Yeah, I mean... I only want to push back on that, but it's a little bit in that it seems like there is actually like, maybe this is me betraying some of my more conservative colors, uh, which is fine. Uh, but I do think that there is some market difference between Elvis swaying his hips on stage or Jerry Lee Lewis or something like that. And then like watching 12 year olds fuck on an app. Of course. <laughs> yeah. Yes. Uh, so I don't want to leave. I don't <laughs> think that you were like omit, it, omitting that, but I just want to like, reintroduce that to the mix of like yes. what we're talking about right yes um, yes 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 I, I should clarify that like that was a, a moment of me being self-critical in order to make a broader point yeah. but also i don't want to diminish the fact that like it is fucked and bad <laughs> that is <laughs> yeah. happening on the internet yeah like let's let's be entirely yeah, clear that's about extremely that. dark yeah <laughs> yeah i mean it's interesting too right because we're all guys who like metal um mm -hmm. and like I don't know the last time metal was about doing anything new <laughs> since black Sabbath, man. Like everybody's basically like picked like their five seconds of a black Sabbath song to make their entire career out of. Right. Like right. that's that whole genre. Yeah. I mean, innovation in music really, I think at this point can only happen with the innovation of new technology to make music with, mm -hmm. you know, like the actual forms have changed very little across time. But the thing that has changed is the introduction of new instruments. Like I think dance music is really interesting to think about in this respect because like entire new subgenres of dance music can uh, be created just by the 
incorporation of a different kind of drum machine, you know? And so, yeah, the only thing that's changed in metal is like, well, now we have seven string guitars. Now we have eight string guitars. Now we have double bass pedals. Now we have 808s, you know, like all of those kind of things are what drives change. So it's like the creation of new technologies rather than the creation of new forms. For me, yeah, I, newness probably has never been important to me, maybe. I mean, I guess it depends on what we mean by newness because when I feel like I'm thinking about what did I lose, you know, from when I was a kid to now and what I, whether or not that's because of me or because of the world, like what's no longer there for me. And part of it, I think, is more to what Ian was saying about um, like hyper quantification sort of resulting in a kind of static, non-hierarchical field of stuff, like hyper-quantification sort of resulting in a kind of static, non-hierarchical field of stuff. Whereas, like, you're there, but the experiences that you can have there are, like, of an entirely different character from a very, like, crazy topographical, like, very hierarchized, like, stuff's up here, it's down there, some stuff matters, some stuff doesn't matter, like, things are, like, very differentiated things. So I feel like nothing there is new, but it's sort of, like, a lot there was new to me in a way. Like, I could round corners, I could discover a little hidden grove or something, and, like, maybe other people have been here, but I've never been here, and so... I feel like, because it makes me think a lot of like Heidegger talking about Descartes, not to get too crazy, but the idea of Descartes creating like this, um, what is it, like metaphysical phase space or something. Everything is like numbers on a graph, basically, and you can plot it all. So anything that exists, you could kind of describe that way. And I think Heidegger was really concerned about the fact that that is really tearing away a lot of parts of experiences and things from them to describe them like that. I think it's a being is Vorhandenheit and it's sort of like I could talk about like the grow I could talk about a grove in some forest that way. Like, you know, I could describe it perfectly in a Cartesian sense, but that would never communicate to you the fact that that is, you know, like where I started believing in God or something, you know what I mean? Like I had a huge experience there that's forever colored this place and changed it for me. And then I have relationships with people and I can tell them about that and it changes it for them and sort of it's communal and it's involved in like relationships to things. And it feels like so much of that has been leveled. Um, And I thought it was a great way of describing it, I think, because it's sort of like, yeah, I can say it as I don't hear anything new. Like uh, I'm listening to Gex 100 and it just sounds like everything I knew in a blender or whatever, but it's almost more to the point that it's not like a universal novelty. It's more like a personal novelty that one experiences when one has events in their life. And it feels like when the events stop happening, things just become like a long, like sort of, you're just walking through a huge empty desert, you know, where whatever comes up is just kind of like the same as what you just walk through in a way. I mean, I think, I think that's the take, <laughs> uh, uh, to be honest. Um, we've been going for a while now, so I think we're going to call it to a close. So I want to thank our guest Ian for joining us. Um, do you have anything you want to plug right now? Obviously I'll put stuff in the show notes. Uh, I mean, yeah, just like the, the blog, it's lambdaforms.substack. Um, you know, you can listen to my record, Sisyphean. That's the most recent one that's out. It's great. On, and the uh, demos for the you. new one sound lit. So oh, thank you. Thank we'll you. have you on when that comes out. Thank you. Uh, that, I love to come back on. I thought this was 
an awesome conversation. Um, yeah, just uh, check out Sisyphean on Bandcamp. Uh, that if you want to buy a T-shirt, obviously that would be great, but don't feel obligated to do so if you don't want to. Um, I'm sure plenty of your listeners have enough black T-shirts as it is. So <laughs> <laughs> I always need more though. I should. Get more. Um, but uh, yeah, and uh, so. I don't have to record a formal ending this time. Um, guys, uh, please rate, uh, subscribe, and review. That helps us get seen uh, per all the things we talked about earlier. Uh, we don't make any money off of this, but please, please help us uh, sell ourselves and cultivate a parasocial relationship with you. Um, and with that said, uh, we will see you next week to figure out more of why nothing feels possible. So stay safe. Have a good one. <laughs>